صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English-language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. Joining me today are two outstanding young Palestinian men. We've got Rayan Khadura and Louis Bawazir. Good morning, boys. Hey, how are you? Good morning. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to have you both here. Today is Nakba Day. Nakba is the May 15th, but today, May 13th, Saturday, we've got our protest protests all over Australia, commemorating the 75th anniversary of the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. So go to apan.org.au, apan.org.au, to find out where the actions are in your city. But if you're in Melbourne, we're at the State Library at one o'clock. Join us there. You'll be able to meet Louis and Rayanne and myself, obviously. So be sure to get along to the State Library at one o'clock and anywhere else in Australia, apan.org.au, apan.org.au. Rayan, why don't we start with you? Tell us your Nakba story. How did you end up in Australia? As most of our stories all start off, they start around the day that we're kind of talking about now. So Nakba, or the before nineteen forty eight, where everything was normal in Palestine. My grandfather Mahmoud Adura and Tatazi Adura, my grandmother, lived there. My grandfather was a park ranger of all things. They lived in a little village outside of Akka called Sahmata. So very humble lifestyle, very simple life. And everything essentially changed for them as of 1948 when there was bombings um, from Israel and, you know, the invasion really started. A really key moment that kind of influenced our family was when the battle was going on and uh, my grandmother's cousin was actually a part of the battle and was killed and shot by the Israeli military. At that time, the military was trying to provoke and use different methods to, you know, try and discourage the Palestinians and um, push them away. So what they what, what they did to the village of uh, Sahmata is they actually threw the, the body of my grandma's cousin into the drinking well there. So obviously polluting the, the water source that everyone used for water. And essentially that was the sign for for my grandfather and grandmother to make a move because they had a they had a little daughter at the time, my auntie who was two years old. And for them, they felt like they needed some safety, especially thinking about a little one there. So that was their primary focus. They made that decision to leave. And you know, when like all families, I, I imagine that you speak to at the time when plan on leaving, it's not a matter of leaving forever. It's okay, things are a little bit dangerous now, we'll go and we'll come back. So essentially they went with bare essentials, mostly things just to sleep on. So whether it was a couple of pillows, a mattress and some blankets, and they set off on foot with the donkey they had to help them and their little two-year-old daughter set off walking on foot for about 
20 kilometers to a town called Hafesh in Palestine near the edge of the border because they knew some families there that that they were friends with so they went there trying to trying to escape and get some safety and then following that again they after a few days of rest they set foot and they made it to to Mesh which is on the other side on the Lebanese border and essentially signed somewhat safety for them and then from there it was figuring out where where you could survive so being able to find different places where different people they knew or contacts or anything like that that could give them an indicator because back then obviously information wasn't as available as we've got now so whatever information they knew or people they knew they kind of just followed and they ended up traveling and being in Baalbek and um, that's where my dad was born and from there they kept moving around essentially so they spent a good chunk of time in Khayyam al-Rashidiyya, so a refugee camp there in Lebanon. And things in Lebanon, as I hear about it, for, for a Palestinian wasn't the easiest. It wasn't necessarily all Lebanese were welcoming everyone or all the refugees with open arms. It was very difficult, whether it was to find a job or to just be able to do the things that you needed to do to provide for a family. So there was challenges with that and whatever money you'd saved up and you're still waiting to, at some stage, return to Palestine. Those were continuous struggles. And, you know, from Mukhayyam al-Rashidi, they ended up in Sur. And then, you know, you've got your, the Lebanese um, civil war broke out and there was added challenges there. And we all know about Majdaltan um, al and Sabah uh, al-Shatila and all of those challenges that happened in those areas. So again, distress following distress, following distress. And so your dad was born in Lebanon? Correct. After trying a bunch of different things, going to Germany, going to Abu Dhabi, ending, ending back up in Lebanon, he eventually made it to Saudi Arabia, where there was some form of stability for a little bit, where my brother and sister were born. We should tell our listeners that you guys are cousins. Let's hear about mum's side, Louis. So I'm half Palestinian, so this is from my mum's side. Going back, there's no such thing, Louis, as half Palestinian. Yeah, but I'm also I I also love to identify identify by my father's side or my nation, my original nationality, which is Yemen too, definitely. And I'm also even more, uh, proud to even call myself Palestinian or Yemeni, both at the same time. Going back also to 1948 when. The first war happened, and at the time, my grandpa Ghazi was 15 years old. And at the time, the family had actually uh, three carpentries in Akka, and they had the largest one in Haifa. So they were actually in the city, unlike Ryan's story. So two different perspectives. Their carpentry was holding their name, Sabahi, and it was next to Jamal Jazzar in Haifa. So when the attacks happened, my great-grandfather Khalil decided to pack up and they had to drive to Lebanon. And they've also had the same belief that they'll go spend some time there where, where it's safe, a bit of civilization till the war. They win the Palestinians win the war and they'd go back. So at the time, my, my grandfather was 15 years old. And I assume, similarly to what, what Rayan said, is that one of the hardest things would be telling the kids that we're going back, but they would always wait for the time that they actually go back, but they never did. Unfortunately, not only the uh, first war was lost, but my great-grandfather, and once they got to Lebanon, he was bedridden for his second stroke, and his first one happened actually in Palestine. So afterwards, he was bedridden, and my grandfather had and his older brother had to work and provide for the family. In 1953, when my grandfather, uh, great-grandfather Khalil Allah passed away, a year later, my grandfather Ghazi 
decided that it was still hard to provide for the family. So he uh, left to Saudi Arabia too. He had very uh, successful businesses, was doing uh, very well and was able to provide for the family to, uh, in Lebanon. He did go back to Lebanon um, to marry my grandma after going to Saudi Arabia. And yeah, he married here and took her back to Saudi Arabia and that's where they lived. So that's where they lived. And then your mother met a Yemeni man. Exactly. Turned him into a Palestinian. Exactly. <laughs> and, and here you are. And the way you're studying here, Ayan, you're, you're, you work here. A couple of weeks ago, we had the crew from Tales of a Homeland on and they were talking about the show. What did you think of the show? It was, it, was a, it was a great production. It was just awesome to be able to see such a great turnout of Palestinians supporting, you know, a Palestinian production, which was that on its own, just being able to walk in and nothing's even started and seeing all the kofiyas and seeing all the Palestinian dresses the and all that. Um, that, was, that was an awesome feeling, just being able to be around other Palestinians. And then we went in and, and the show started and it started with uh, a recital of Multani where... There was a young lady that was um, singing uh, the national anthem. That was like straight off the bat. It was super emotional. Why is it emotional? I mean, you're a little bit more, you're not as Australian as I am, and, but you're not as Arab as the way. Why is it emotional? I think it's so many different things. One of them is an identity that you almost never fulfilled. It's a sense of belonging that you still kind of seek that my parents are still seeking, that my grandparents were seeking for us, um, that we've never really fulfilled. And, um, yeah, it's also like a lot of just sadness and just a sense of being upset for, you know, everything that's going on at the moment and the people that are still there and the challenges that our Palestinian people are going through. And then I think there's, there's, a, there's a sense of survivor's guilt as crazy as it sounds, even though, like, obviously we didn't go through any of the trauma and we're privileged to, to be far removed from everything that's happening, there's that element of it that kind of flows through. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a mixture of emotions. It's almost, yeah, feeling like, feeling like you're getting a sense of home without being there or ever, ever experiencing it. The way growing up in Saudi Arabia, how easy is, is it to be connected to Palestine? You know, your identity as as a Palestinian or Saudi or as a Yemeni Palestinian Saudi, how does that look in Saudi Arabia or feel? So firstly, the biggest part of it is family, of course. As I said, my grandfather uh, moved there and got married and took his wife over there. So we've got a, a great amount of family members over there. So that's... Uh, mostly comes from the feeling of having a Palestinian identity. I think one thing that I was fortunate enough to have that maybe Ryan didn't have is having the Palestinian community more as in, in schools, friends of friends that they would be more common than in Australia, maybe. Of course. Is it a big Palestinian community? Yeah, of course. Schools are filled with Palestinians. Businesses, uh, you'd find Palestinians working in, if not owning businesses too. Like my my grandfather owned businesses in his uh, early years in Saudi Arabia too, up until his until he passed away. I ask that in in the sense as a Palestinian, yeah, we are the political footballs of the leaders of the Arab world. So depending on 
what they're trying to do. Every Arab leader has promised to liberate Palestine to raise support in the street. As we saw in the World Cup uh, in Qatar, the whole world might be normalizing with the apartheid state of Israel, but the Arab street is very clearly on Palestine's side. And I say to you naively, the way I don't know the situation in Saudi Arabia, but I know what Iraq was like for Palestinians before the invasion of Kuwait, and I know what it's like afterwards. I know what it's like for Palestinians in Jordan, depending on you know, their socioeconomic status and in Lebanon, and sadly what's happened in Syria. But uh, we've never had any a Palestinian from Saudi Arabia on. So perhaps you can explain to us how assimilated Palestinians are, how accepted they are. First, there isn't a community that would be perfect. You'd always have people against a certain race or a certain nationality, as in racism. That's in every country. Mm-hmm. But if you also listen from Palestinians in Saudi Arabia, lots of them would say that Saudi Arabia actually sheltered them. So they, no matter what happens, they'd still be thankful for it. And so that's actually a very common debate. Some would say, in, as you said, there were promises made, but not all of them happened. And some would say that no matter what happens, at least we're being sheltered, we're safe, we can have food on our tables and provide for our families. So that's a very complicated debate. But your experience growing up, the way you went to school and the school was 10% Palestinian, 1%, 50%? My experience, honestly, uh, nothing against Palestinians personally to me. Okay. Not at all. That's beautiful. Well, that's the way it should be. I mean, if we can't exactly. be comfortable amongst our brothers and cousins, where are we going to be comfortable? One of the challenges of the diaspora Palestinian population is that because we've been used as political footballs, one of the things about being a football is you, you're the one that gets blamed too. So that manifested itself in Lebanon in the civil war, as Rayan was speaking about in the, in the 70s and uh, ended up with uh, the invasion in 1982 and Sabra and Shatila and Tamazata before that, through to what happened in Syria with the protests against al-Assad. And then before you knew about it, suddenly it was the Palestinians' fault. And then you go to Iraq and Kuwait and what Saddam decided to do to Kuwait and then what the coalition of the willing did, uh, removing Saddam from Kuwait and then ultimately destroying Iraq, again, the Palestinians were blamed. It is, unfortunately, when you are the other, it's so very easy to be used. And then when it suits to be abused. Listeners, I'm talking to Rayan Khadura and Louis Bawazir, two fantastic young Palestinian men who are going to join me today at one o'clock at the State Library. Make sure you come along one o'clock at the State Library today. Go to apan.org.au, apan.org.au to find out details of the other protests around Australia. 75 years since Nakba, the catastrophe, the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. Stay tuned after this song, Mistahi, Music for Change, a new song called Long Live the Palestinian Resistance, One Day You Will Be Free.
That was Mustahi Music for Change, Long Live the Palestinian Resistance, One Day You'll Be Free. What did you think of that song, Raya? I always think it's amazing how people that are far removed from the cause or far removed from the Arab world can still empathise with, with the challenges that the Palestinians face. Even like we tend to, we tend to not see it in mainstream media and that, so you kind of have to look for it to find it. And the fact that there's people out there that are, you know, curious enough to go deep and find out about it and still want to be involved and want to support, I think that's really incredible and kind of kind of gives you a little bit of hope that if there's a small minority... If there's good people like that about, then, you know, we, we do have a chance. I mean, we often talk about it in activist spaces about Palestine being the litmus test. It's easy to be... It's easy to be on the on side of the struggle for Indigenous rights. Now, that might be something as simple as a voice, although I think a voice is not anywhere near enough, but it's easy for polite white society to be on the side of the uh, Indigenous uh, First Nations people here in Australia. It's easy to be on the side of the Ukrainians, yeah? I mean, they're white people, they're nice and civilised. And then as you go through the gradients of challenges around the world, whether that's in West Papua and Western Sahara, whether it's the disaster that has befallen us in Yemen, or the ultimate determiner, the litmus test of one's humanity is Palestine. Because we have a term, as as our listeners have heard many times, PEPs, P-E-P, progressive, except for Palestine. So Palestine is the litmus test. If If activists are good on Palestine, they're good. But if somebody is good on stuff, but not on Palestine, you should never trust them because it means they're just no good. Now, the way I've grown up in Australia and had um, the full range of experience telling people that Palestine wasn't Pakistan through to, no, I wasn't going to hijack their uh, plane through to every stereotype you can imagine. You're a new Australian. You're here studying. What's your experience been like in Australia as a, as a Palestinian? I've gotten a few of the Pakistan-Palestine struggle too. Or uh, if it's not that, it's either they would ask me, what's Yemen? Uh, Like, where's that? Otherwise, um, I've actually had a few people that, as you would call them, white people, that would know about the Palestinian struggle as well. I think that is from the efforts of people like you that make over here in voicing the... Of, on being the voice for Palestine. But overall, I think Australia is a very welcoming place from my experience so far and what I've been through. I think that people are very welcoming um, no matter where you are from. They're, they might be accepting of a lot than what we would be expecting, but there's, I think, yeah, there's always a safe place here. Well, that's good. The way in Saudi Arabia is Nakba something? Will there be protests in Saudi Arabia? A commemoration? Um, I'm sure there's going to be. I'm sure because of... so it's a it's a normal thing in Saudi Arabia for the Palestinian community there to commemorate uh, Nakba and stuff. Yes, but I wouldn't think it would it would be as a protest as what would yeah, yeah. happen, oh, yeah. and that's uh, very common in our Arab world mm-hmm. as a whole, but. I'm sure there would be uh, something to stand up for uh, Palestine on the day. Ryan, one of the realities of being a diaspora refugee Palestinian, as you are, as I am, is connection to Palestine. Have you ever been? Never. Never been. No one in my family's ever been. My parents have never been. My brother and sister have never been. 
Um, so it almost feels like, in a way, we're, we're very disconnected. So all of my um, grand, grandfather's siblings all, all left and migrated um, during, an, during 1948. So they all went their separate ways. Um, so in a way, it feels like relationship-wise or people-wise, we're a little bit disconnected. Um, and for some reason, like there's something deep innate in me where it's, I feel like I need to be there. I need to experience it. I need to return, even though I've never been. Um, like I think we've spoken about it um, a few times where I really want to go and understand what it's, what it's like to live in Palestine. And um, part of it is, you know, being able to, to appreciate the cause a bit more and be able to connect to that and really be able to know what the challenges are and maybe how we can help and all of that. But there's also the personal side of things where it's, it's finding a home where you almost feel like Australia's an incredible place and it's offered us um, things that no other country has, to be honest. And um, I was born here and I love Australia, but no matter what, there still feels like there's something missing. Um, you know, my dad's retired and he's probably still looking for the place where he can return to. Um, and as much as, you know, Australia offers that, there's still missing that connection, that place where you can just feel like you're going back home. And, yeah, not having having the people that you want around you, the people that you've known around you. Um and I think that's a privilege that a lot of other nations might have where, you know, they can be born um, and they, they know where their grandparents were born and their great-grandparents and so on and have that connection to, to that country or that land. And unfortunately, we don't. Like I've got cousins in Africa, I've got cousins in Canada, I've got cousins in the Middle East, cousins here in Australia, um, and none of, us, none of us have that feeling. And, and none of us have that connection. I mean, Louis was saying, you know, like his great-great-grandfather is in Haifa. His great-grandfather is in Lebanon. His grandfather, perhaps in Saudi Arabia, buried, Ali Rahman, God rest their souls, every one of them in, in strange dirt. None of them connected to where they're supposed to be, you know, their ancestral home and land. And whether you're... If you're from Spain and you choose to live in America and then have a holiday in Brazil and then end up in London and then marry a girl and go back to your village, you're afforded the opportunity to experience that entire life and maintain your route. The people who don't get to do that are Palestinian. And um, uh, this is the thing that Israel and its allies struggle to grapple with is our love, our desire, our connection to our land and how it's unbreakable. And it's unbreakable because Indigenous people are of the land. They're, they're inseparable from that connection. And whilst they expelled us and killed us uh, with massacres and chased us out of our homes, we're all going back. We're all going home. Now, some people might choose not to, like that Spaniard might stay in London. Yeah? And, but nobody can say to both of you guys who are yet to be married, two single good-looking guys, um, that your unborn children can't go to Palestine. You can't give away their right. Yeah, and I think actually one of the struggles we go through, and it's actually one that, that has been on my mind for a couple of times, but now that Rihanna mentions it, it's 
for us um, to settle in a place, you have to either choose between education, safety, or family. So you have to always sacrifice one thing in order to live in a country. That's a beautiful way to finish the show, Luay. Thank you so very much. We've been joined by Luay Bawazir and Rayan Khadura. Thank you, boys. Thanks, Nasser. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so very much. Don't forget one o'clock today at the State Library, apan.org.au for where your actions are around Australia. Go to the website, you'll find a link for Mistahi's new song, Music for Change, Long Live the Palestinian Resistance, One Day You Will Be Free. Thanks for listening. Share the podcast. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.